Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Hayes Brown. This is AM to DM. Happy Black Friday, part two. Part two! <laughs> it's good to be here. It's good to have you. But sadly... Alas. Alas. We have to start the show today with a bit of an unwanted package. Special delivery. It's Jeff Bezos' penis all over the timeline. <laughs> Didn't mind the package. No? You know, sometimes an unexpected gift shows up in the news cycle and you're like, you know, I could have been black delivered, leave it on my doorstep. Place. Could have been worse. <laughs> oh, uh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, now I'm picturing it being in blackface. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I think this is really interesting. Of mm -hmm. course, this like took over the timeline unexpectedly, I think, right as people were like leaving work mm -hmm. uh, last night. And it's wild, right? Like, yes. AMI tried to extort him using right. his own nudes against him. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to pull up Beyonce. I'm just going to like surprise drop. Release the emails, this, including the descriptions of the nudes. And AMI is currently under a plea deal with the you know uh, U.S. Uh -huh. attorneys. So this is all very dicey legally for yeah. them right now. And that's the goopery and the gaggery of it all. That Correct. it's like... You thought you were going to be able to shame me, you know, using these nudes and that that would be, you know, the real issue. But actually, girl, the feds are talking about you now because of this practice. So, right. you know, one, I just think that's a an interesting, bold move, period, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of a way to deal with extortion. And then two, I do want to talk about, like, the cultural implications, right? I think a lot Maybe. about, like, how... You know, there's so much shame, of course, around sex and also mm -hmm. around nudes. And so often people worry about losing their jobs or just being like just mm -hmm. slut shamed as a result of it. And, you know, I would love to get to the point where like nudes are totally disarmed. Right. Culturally, right? Where right, it's right, like, right. yeah, whatever, we all take them, you know? And so I, there were no saints here. This is all very complicated. Right, Jeff Bezos right. is a very complicated man, sure. But, Act. you know, it's not for nothing that it's like, hey, you yeah. know? The rich people, they're slutty like us. <laughs> and AMI is investigating into what all this means, so I'm sure we'll hear more about this moving forward. Now, aside from the penis jokes, Twitter was filled with people who were wondering just what AMI's plan here was. Hmm. Warren Ellis tweeted, just catching up with the news, and um, so Jeff Bezos is the richest person in human history, mm -hmm. used a spare change to build his own spaceships, mm. owns a major U.S. newspaper, as well as obviously the vast logistics chain that made him a pharaoh, and to quote the Dark Knight, and your plan is to blackmail this person? That was your strategy? You... Right, right. Huh. <laughs> it's a choice, I guess. But yeah. also, fun fact, Bezos, not the richest person in human history. Oh. Black History Month fact, oh. that title goes to Mansa Musa, the okay. 14th century Malian emperor who, when traveling from his kingdom in West Africa, uh -huh. in West Africa all the way over into the Middle East, okay. spent so much gold that he caused that. rampant inflation in his wake. Like, oh. people are like, like, we have too much gold. The economy yes, around. he's like, wow, we have too much gold because like of how much you were spending. Yes. Oh God, he was like a black Midas. He was, in fact, he was amazing and he deserved more respect. Sorry, Jeff Bezos. You're impressive, but you're no Mansa Musa. I love it. All right, Black History, you better give it to us. Shout right? out to that. All right. <laughs> Bring uh, well, it back let's today. take this to the timeline. If you were in Jeff Bezos's position, which is to say the wealthiest person in the present, now. not the Black past, okay, uh, would you at this point, you know, you've put out your Medium post, would you also go ahead and release the nudes yourself to control the news cycle? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. Um, and now we got to talk about Ariana. Yes, we do. Here is a tweet from our beloved friend of the show, Bolu. Wow, Ariana gave us self-actualized bops, savage bops, horny bops, I'm a steal that man bops, sad bops, cathartic bops, sweet sensitive bops, stoosh bops. We love a nuanced millennial pop culture protagonist. Yes, I just continue to watch Ariana's like development and growth. Also reminder that she writes a lot of her own music. So Correct. that's exciting as well. Um, I woke up this morning and the first thing I did was like, happy Black History Month, more Ariana, you know? <laughs> 
Just like jamming, like listen of to course, it. I, and I'm already getting my life. You know, it's like I feel like it's perfect. It's got this like I like it's got energy. It's kind of it's kind of dark energy. It's very moody. You know, and everything. Aquarius was season bops. Okay, Aquarius season February. I'm single going to Valentine's Day bops. Thank mm-hmm. you, sis. Now, have you listened to it? I listened to some of the tracks on the way uh, to work in the car this morning. Okay. My girlfriend though stayed up after I went to bed to hit that album at midnight when it dropped. <laughs> and you know, more power to her out there. I love I love the image. I mean, I, I feel like that's like NASA on the album where she's like, you go over there, I need space because I'm gonna be over here. Yeah, my and universe. you know what? Love it, we got a good setup at this point. All right, we stand. Yes, well, let's take it to the timeline. So far, what is your favorite song off Thank You Next? Let us know using the hashtag aim to dm mm-hmm. Well, Ariana, of course, did not just release an album last night. She also gave us some tea Delicious on the timeline. Tea. So much, and she loves to do this. She tweeted, I've kept my mouth shut, but now you are lying about me. Mm. I can pull together a performance overnight, mm. and you know that. Can. Can. <laughs> it was when my creativity and self-expression were, it's were, Ariana, growth, darling, were stifled by you that I decided not to attend. I hope the show is exactly what you want it to be and more. The Black energy heart. in that last sentence. That last sentence sounds like a curse. I, mm-hmm. I would say when I'm really angry at someone, I say, I hope you have the life you deserve. That's it. I, I feel gotta like catch my breath after doing. you did that just yeah. now. <laughs> Well, Brittany Spano, staff writer of Rolling Stone, joins us now to talk about Ariana and the Grammys. Brittany, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. Before <laughs> we get into the Grammys, have you listened to the album yet? Do you have thoughts? Of course opinions, I have. Feelings? Give them to us. I, I like it a lot. I think Sweetener I definitely love a lot more, and I kind of wish this had been sort of like a surprise drop mixtape style situation with this album, but... I I really enjoy Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored. I think that is the best song title maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's a really vibey album. Yeah, it's a vibe. I, you know, how dare you, Brittany, not love this even more than Sweetener. But, you know, I do love Break Up With Your Girlfriend. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I'm but I wanted to get into this exchange uh, between Ariana and Ken Ehrlich of the Grammys. Who is he? What's going on between them? So Ken Ehrlich is a producer for the Grammys. He's sort of one of the main voices behind a lot of, um, you know, some of the Grammy controversies that we've seen in recent years. And he is basically trying to do a safe face with the Grammys because a lot of artists are not going to be there. A lot of the big names that make award shows watchable and interesting will not be present at the award show or allegedly won't be present at the show this year. And so Ariana is one of those names. She's had one of the biggest years in pop. She also was snubbed in a lot of the big categories, but she is recognized in the pop vocal and the pop solo song categories for Sweetener and God's Woman. But um, he was basically trying to do a safe face with it, and Ariana called him out on what he claimed was the reason why she wouldn't show up at the Grammys this year. Hmm. Brittany, I think we have you video now, so we're going to put you up. Hey, there you are. Hello, queen. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> so keep keep your phone oh, up. Keep your phone up. Hey, cool. so mm-hmm. okay, we hear yeah, you. We can we hear you. you. So okay, so <laughs> you mentioned about the fact that she was snubbed. What do you think about the fact that they're still promoing her face everywhere? She tweeted out, didn't she, that she saw her face go by on a bus as she was tweeting about the Grammys? Yeah. No, I mean that's been a big thing. All the promotional material has featured Ariana, and why wouldn't they? She's one of the biggest pop stars right now. She's had one of the biggest years. 
And they'd never really had any confirmation on her performing. They had never really said like Ariana is doing a performance. And she wanted to do the songs that she wanted to do. She wanted to promote Seven Rings, which is her current number one single, her second number one single. And um, they wanted to do a medley with just the songs that they wanted. Mm, interesting mm. choice. Well, it's of course bigger than this uh, exchange between Can and, <laughs> and, and Ariana. Uh, so I'm going to read this tweet from Complex uh, Magazine. Kendrick, mm. uh, Drake, and Childish Gambino have also all declined to perform at this year's Grammys, which is Sunday. Uh, one Grammys producer said, quote, the fact of the matter is we continue to have a problem in the hip-hop world. So from artists like Ariana Grande to Drake and Kendrick Lamar, is it fair to say that the Grammys keep clashing with, frankly, the biggest names in music? And and why? Why does this keep happening? That is absolutely what's happening. I think the Grammys has had a big issue with keeping up with the trends and keeping up with what's popular. And I think for a lot of mostly hip-hop artists, a lot of Black artists and a lot of female artists now are feeling really shafted by the Grammys and by what they recognize as a Grammy-worthy, not only nomination, but winner. I mean, we haven't seen a rap album win album of the year since 2004 when Outkast won. We haven't seen um, this many women nominated. And I think two decades was the last time that this many women were recognized in album of the year. And I think a lot of these artists are recognizing like the patterns that the Grammy continues to really just push. We've seen a lot of big snubs when it comes to who wins album of the year. The last three or four have been some of the most controversial, you know, losses in in Grammy history. And I think artists are really tired of depending on the Grammys for authenticity. Mm. And so I know Frank Ocean was a big person who was sort of the first one to be like, I'm not going to go. I don't want to even put my, my album in part of the conversation. I don't want to be nominated. He didn't even submit Blonde for any nominations when it came out. And, you know, Drake has often talked about how he doesn't want to be at the Grammy. He has a song called Grammys. He doesn't care about the Grammys. Jay-Z has spoken out against it. I think these artists are just tired of expecting the Recording Academy to show them the respect that they know that they deserve. Yeah, totally get that. Well, Brittany, it's been great talking with you. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I keep thinking when I think about the Grammys, I think of that Jay-Z line, you know, regarding the Super Bowl, you need me, I don't need you, mm-hmm. right? Well, let's take it to the timeline. What are your predictions for the Grammys on Sunday? Are you going to be there? Are you going to watch? Let us know using the hashtag. No, we're not going to watch. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, here is a tweet from Rolling Stone writer Jamil Smith. Demanding that Northam resign is not doing the dirty work of conservatives who targeted him for the abortion bill he signed. Now it's about mitigating damage. Not for Democrats, for us. Every moment he stays in office furthers a misconception that racism is just about imagery. Joining us now to talk about why the Virginia scandal is an opportunity for us everywhere to think bigger than the problem with blackface is the wonderful Jamel Hill. Good morning, Jamel. Hey, how you doing, gentlemen? We had... Jamel Smith, I'm sorry. I called you Jamel Hill, girl. I'm sorry, boo. Lost you for a second. Uh, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I know we've been trying for a while. (laughs) Okay, so what is it, uh, to be frank, about... Indeed, indeed. No problem. No problem. (laughs) Uh, What is it about the 1980s that had white people so sure that they could get away with blackface? 
Well, I think, first of all, we didn't have, you know, things like this. We didn't have the kind of social networks that we had. We didn't have the kind of visibility that we have. And uh, I think certainly, you know, we think of the 1980s as this, you know, frankly, a little bit more tolerant time than it actually was. I mean, the 1980s was a time that, you know, Reagan was passing the 100 to 1 crack to cocaine, you know, disparity. I mean, this is a, this is a time when the, the war on drugs was raging. This is a time where mass incarceration was exploding. This is a time where racism was, was in vogue. And we, the thing is, we think about racism in a certain way. We think about racism as Klansmen and blackface and, and all these different things, but we don't think necessarily about racism in the ways that Northam uh, offers us uh, an opportunity to essentially examine that um, in, a, in, a different, in a different way. And I think one of the things that I tried to do in my column was talk about that with the Reverend Dr. William Barber, uh, the leader of the Moral Mondays movement, and uh, the, the, revi- you know, the person who revived the uh, Poor People's Campaign that Dr. Martin Luther King started. He and I you know, really had a good conversation right after Northam's press conference on Saturday about how we you know, essentially commodify racism. How do we view racism in America? Do we view it as blackface? Do we view it as systemic racism that manifests itself in, you know, pipelines that go through uh, black neighborhoods that, uh, you know, have historically been untouched by uh, natural gas companies and, 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 and whatnot. So I think that the 80s certainly, you know, I think people are comfortable with racism now, <laughs> as we've seen. I think people, you know, I think, you know, we instead of people but I think that what we're seeing is, you know, with Ralph Northam, the fact is, it's not whether he felt comfortable putting on blackface, it's that he didn't seem to understand the power of blackface, the dehumanizing power of what that meant. The fact that the blackface, the imagery of blackface makes it easier for white people in power to then Put in and pl- put into practice systemic racism that dehumanizes us. That you know helps to you know redline uh, us out of certain neighborhoods. It helps to take away our votes. That help, frankly, uh, to uh, make our lives worth less. You mentioned first of all, we're having a few connection issues, but I'm glad you're still with us. We're um, gonna soldier on like black people trying to make it through February. Amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's really interesting. You mentioned that uh, you, the fact that Northam doesn't quite get the power of blackface. If you were a political consultant um, or what have you, what would be your advice to some of these, you know, white politicians of a certain age? Would you advise them to just be out there, be more forthcoming about the racist things in their past? Just like literally scour everything and come out now and say, here's this, 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 and this I learned and grew? Or, I mean, like Jeff Bezos. Like, yeah. literally, like, here it is. Here's, here's all of these secrets, you know? Yeah. What would your advice be to them about how to handle the racism of their past? I'd say essentially be be honest, uh, be honest, and and treat the voting public like they are critical thinkers. Uh, essentially, don't don't treat people like they're stupid. Uh, say say to the public, say I did this, I did this, this, and this, and understand that me doing all these ostensibly good deeds, you know, in my public life, does not necessarily excuse that deed. Mm. Does not necessarily make you know make me all of a sudden morally credible uh, to you know say leave the state of Virginia. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, necessarily that I may have done all these wonderful things for black people as the governor of Virginia or, as, you know, in my other capacities of whatever I've done in my life. It does. I have this and if that makes it so that you don't feel that 
I am capable of being your governor, then I have to respect that. Uh, that is, you know, you have to respect the voters' will. You have to, it's, it's respect what they are telling you. And frankly, Ralph Northam is, is, is doing an exceptional job of not doing that. I think he's doing an exceptional job of trying to, you know, display a, uh, a, a, a you know, desperate attempt to hold on to his own power while, while really disrespecting the black voters who were central to his election. I mean, let's, let's not forget the context when, when which he was elected in 2017. You were coming off of months after the Charlottesville chaos that was instigated by neo-Nazis and white supremacists, okay? We're talking about a Virginia electorate that is, you know, no longer, you know, frankly, the Virginia Democratic electorate that's no longer centered with the so-called white working class. Uh, it's, you know, more centered towards educated whites. Uh, it, you know, it's more centered towards, uh, you know, um, African-Americans, specifically black women. Election, and these are the people who were felt most disrespected by this controversy. These are the people who felt most disrespected by this imagery, and frankly, his response to it. So he is, you know, essentially spitting in their faces by remaining in office. And I think that that is the, the that is the crisis at hand here. It's not the fact that necessarily even that he did this. It's the how he's responded to it that is really so insulting. Right. And and I have to break in here to say that it, of course, is not lost on me that we are three black men uh, discussing the controversy um, in Virginia. So we have to make space for another element of this. Uh, the allegations of sexual assault that have been made against Lieutenant uh, Governor Justin Fairfax, who, of course, is African-American. What do we make of him in this situation? What would you tell him to do? Frankly, I tell him to resign. Uh, I, I, you know, frankly, it seems that Dr. Vanessa Tyson is is, is credible. Uh, it seems like her story uh, does not seem like. You know, first thing, I'll just back up for a second. When I come forward of their own for any kind of advantage, uh, they do not come forward for any kind of reward. They do not come forward with these kinds of allegations for any kind of. Uh, of, of celebrity or, or financial benefit, okay? They're coming forward because, frankly, either they feel like it's the right thing to do or they no longer feel like they can stay private with these kinds of allegations. Now, I feel like, you know, right now there is no, I, I believe her because there's no reason to doubt her. There is no reason to doubt her narrative. There's no reason to doubt her story. Uh, if reasons to doubt her story emerge, then we shall deal with those. But right now, uh, Fairfax, not only with, you know, the story as it stands, but his reaction to it, uh, his lying about the Washington Post uh, and how they covered the story, uh, the the reports from NBC News about his uh, vulgar remarks that I will not repeat uh, about Dr. Tyson. Uh, frankly, he's not covering himself in glory right now. And uh, it seems like uh, Mr. Fairfax, despite his, uh, his valiant stand against the Robert E. Lee uh, honoring in the uh, Virginia State Senate, uh, I think that, you know, he certainly has a lot to answer for, and he's not doing it very well right now. Uh, and he's certainly uh, not putting himself in a position where he can lead the state should Northam resign uh, with any kind of moral clarity. And we'll leave it there for now. Um, Jamil Smith, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Okay, on our show today, it is black and excellent as we continue moving forward. We've got sit-down interviews with Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney and Man Booker Award winner Marlon James. But up next, we got some fire tweets for you. Wow. 
Are you ready to get into these fire I'm tweets? I'm ready to get into these fire tweets. Let's oh. hit this. Okay, first up, we got Dark Skin Dave. Ah. Finally got a date for Valentine's Day. It's a court date, but still, I get to dress up. Okay, you... You see that bright side. You find that silver lining, Dave. <laughs> I gotta tell you, given the week we've had, when I saw the the name Dark Skinned Dave East, I was like, please let him actually be black. Please let him. And he is! We move on to the next fire tweet. <laughs> Randy, you tweeted, y'all noticed that the weather started acting right as soon as Black History Month started? Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> If by right you mean we're all going to die from climate change, I'm sorry. You have a great point. I'm so glad that we can go out in the sunshine. It's great. But I am scared of perishing. Yeah, I was scared. That's where like I early, Earlier this week, I was like overwhelmed with the news, all this like blackface and everything's going crazy. And I was like, well, it is 62 degrees outside in February. I guess I'll take a nice walk. And Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. I'm okay. just like, nope, we're going to die. Sorry, Steph, we're going to die. <laughs> okay, Steph, you tweeted. Swear to God, if I am murdered and people talk about how hot my killer is and not how hot I am, there will absolutely be consequences. Absolutely. Now listen here, children. I am going to be a vengeful ghost no matter how this mortal coil shakes off. You know, let's just own that. Just set. Book me. Okay, know it. Know it's coming. But if if I am killed, and you two, I'm going to be a vengeful ghost on your behalf. (gasps) If you were to give one of our killers the Ted Bundy treatment, where you turn this basic, you know, unintelligent, whatever killer into, like, you know, who is it, the hot guy playing him? The Ken doll? Oh, right. Zac Efron. Mm -hmm. Zac Efron, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you anyway, but I'm really coming for you as a ghost. Don't do it. Ain't no thing as a sexy serial killer. Anyway, (laughs) I'm sorry. This is just something that's been sitting on my chest as you can You got feelings? Get them out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ariana inspired me. Okay, this next tweet comes from Patron Goddess, which, all right, girl. Not gonna lie, the whites really did fucking snap with Trader Joe's. I'm failing to spot the lie. And they absolutely (laughs) did! (laughs) Joe, your frozen foods bring me great delight, and so on. I... Listen, Trader Joe's is the only thing white people doing right this month. Just shout out. Go to the wine store after this. (laughs) It's going to be great. so good. All right. Uh, We got a very special tweet of the day coming at us from former Congressman John Dingell. R.I.P. I signed up to fight Nazis 73 years ago, and I'll do it again if I have to. Hatred bigotry, and fascism should have no place in this country. All right, listen. Thank you, John Dingle. John Dingle, of course, was a legend on the timeline and in Washington, D.C. Our thoughts are with his his family and, you know, everyone who are, you know, mourning this loss. But also, I love it, because, you know, this is Mm -hmm. the thing. 73 years ago, he was fighting Nazi. I don't think him being dead now, he'd come back as a ghost. <laughs> I was saying on the ghost I, train. I fully believe that John Dingle as a ghost will be like, well, bitch, I guess I'm going to have to punch a Nazi like this too. You know? I, Incorporeal you know punch. <laughs> Ow, no way. <laughs> Shout out to John Dingle. He's really incredible, and our thoughts are with his wife, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, coming up, friends, you get to see my sit-down interviews with Terrell Alpha McCraney. You know him from Moonlight, and he's got a new Netflix movie, and Marlon James, Man Booker winner, no big deal, Black Excellence. Hey. But up next, we are going live from the district, which is the exact opposite of Black Excellence. Do this! <laughs> Cope. Welcome back. We're going live from the district. Here's a tweet from WRIC Richmond. Mr. Governor, I flew out of New York to tell you your political days are over. Reverend Al Sharpton calls on Northam Herring to resign at Virginia Union discussion. All right. Well, joining us now to talk about everything that is going on in Virginia right now is BuzzFeed News politics reporter Darren Sands. Darren, good morning. 
Good morning, guys. This is as black as I felt all week. Hey. Oh, good. And, and I swear um, our producers are working really hard to find a reason other than Virginia to have you on the show, okay? <laughs> if so they exist, we're going to find is, them. You know, the prayer is out there. But uh, for now, let's yeah. talk about Virginia. What did uh, Reverend Al Sharpton say? Um, again, like we said yesterday, he um, basically called on Northam to resign again. His rationale is basically that, yeah, you're sorry, um, we get it, um, we're glad that you're sorry, but there has to be, um, there's a price to pay. There's, you know, and especially I think one of the important things to remember about, you know, 2019 is it is this year, this 400th anniversary of um, black people, African people coming um, to the North American continent. They, they landed in Virginia. And Senator Tim Kaine, for instance, has tried to um, craft legislation that would commemorate this um, from a federal standpoint, um, doing things like memorials and trying to figure out how to um, uh, create a sense of, of, of contrition on the part of the country. In Virginia now, what we have is essentially a governor who doesn't think he did anything wrong. And there are people defending him who, who basically think that the thing that he did wrong was really give like a really goofy sort of disjointed press conference. So what you have is a standoff. It's going to be between you know between Sharpton and his people who said you got to go and 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 the Virginia governor, um, who I you know can report here on the show is really going to start to look at a policy agenda for the rest of his tenure. Um, that will sort of look at how to expand equality and expand justice. Um, he's going to be really looking at how you do that in appropriations. How can you do that by executive order? So um, if the uh, pro-Sharpton, the pro-civil rights wing of the situation um, is going to really uh, try to continue to get Northam to resign, they have to remember now that they're going to have to ramp up the pressure. Um, I don't think press conferences are going to be enough. I don't think, you know, I think they have to sort of start to think about more direct action. So that's kind of where we are in terms of this. Um, uh, it's a bit of a chess match right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious about that, that idea that they're going to, that he's trying to try and come up with legislation that basically is like an apology to the black mm -hmm. community through policy. I mean, do we have any specifics yet about like what are the sort of things he's going, thinking about doing? And more importantly, do you, Will people, in your opinion, go for this and say, like, whatever it takes to get this progress? Or will they see it as sort of, like, fake and sort of, like, trying to buy off I'm sorry, apology? I'm like, is, is this white man trying to reintroduce Reconstruction? Like, what's yeah, what, yeah, I'm curious about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a shift that's happening. And so I think right now, Northam, he thought about resigning. I think he's someone who, um, yeah, you know, got some advice. What should he do? Um, I think, um, for instance, his wife didn't think he resigned. I think one of the things about the picture is that it caused him to be a little bit more reflective um, about what he should do and, you know, what, it, what was in his heart. Um, and so I think that it's a shift when you begin to think about, OK, maybe I'm not going to resign. Maybe I can sort of withstand some of this pressure. Um, that's the look forward. I don't think that they have specifics just yet, but I know that they are working on a way to try and figure that out. Um, you know, and that's why I think that the pressure, if, you, if there's someone that thinks that Northam needs to resign, you're going to have to ramp up that pressure. It's going to have the more direct action. Um, and it's really something that I think they're really going to have to start to think about, um, you know, especially next week going into, um, you know, further into Black History Month, obviously. Right.
Yeah. Something that you uh, said yesterday in your reporting from Reverend Al Sharpton that's on my mind now is that Al Sharpton pointed out that this is also happening on what happens to be uh, the 400th anniversary of, of slaves being brought uh, to what is now known as Virginia, right? So though this has felt like a truly exhausting, you know, week in terms of this particular news cycle, it's in fact a 400-year-old uh, news cycle, really, <laughs> to put it another way. And so uh, recognizing all of these tensions, is anyone of note at this point, you know, defending publicly uh, Northam, Fairfax, Harris, uh, Normand? I think there is a sense on the part, so I can sort of go down the, the, down the line with the, these two, these three. Um, Northam, um, there are lots of people saying that he needs to resign. Um, there's no one really publicly saying that they think he should stay. I think, if anything, there, there are people saying uh, sort of behind the scenes that they think that they want to see what he's going to do going forward. And, you know, someone like Terry McAuliffe, I think, said, you know, he's going to make the right decision. So that's not necessarily calling on him to resign, but it is really putting the onus on the governor. For the attorney general, Mark Herring, I'm, I think immediately Jamil Smith, who we had on the show, I believe, um, was said that, you know, he was more contrite and, and really just honest about the fact that he was wrong in a way that Northam wasn't. And I, so I think that he's got a little bit more uh, goodwill, especially from the, the Virginia, Virginia Black Legislative Caucus, obviously, who came out and said that, you know, essentially that they believe that the attorney general um, had a chance to sort of prove himself, that he had a chance to, um, in a way, uh, really sort of set a tone of... Um, uh, to, about how, how do you go forward? They want to give him a chance, essentially. Um, most people about Fairfax are saying, essentially, let's do the investigation. Let's get the facts. Let's bear them out. And what, what do they say? What, where would that lead us? I think where you're seeing a lot of the 2020 um, you know, presidential Democrats uh, looking at the sort of middle ground and saying, how do we get to the facts? Um, and and, and you know, how do we really decide what, what uh, our leaders um, should be accountable for and when. So here's a tweet from the Virginian pilot. Virginia Senator Tommy Norman was an editor for Virginia Military Institute yearbook filled with racist photos and slurs. Darren, at this point, it seems like this the entire leadership of Virginia is embroiled in scandals at this point. Is there anyone in Virginia politics at this point who you see who's able to speak with like true moral clarity mm. and really step up and like say, okay, here's what we need to do? Or they're just going to keep floundering through for the next m weeks, months, years? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that's a great question. Uh, obviously, Tim Kaine uh, is someone who's highly, highly respected, not just in the country, um, but especially in Virginia. He, he introduced that legislation um, uh, to commemorate um, this 400-year anniversary. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, again, someone, uh, Ruby Kramer wrote a great profile on him, where people should read that, where she, re he really, she, she really sort of gets to the essence of who he is. He could certainly speak um, to um, some of that. Um, you know, the first black governor in, in the country uh, is in, was in Virginia, and, and when he um, sort of came out and said that um, he believed essentially that it was you know up to Northam to decide what he was going to do, and then when the press conference happened, he said you know now you've got to resign because that was ridiculous in, in essence. Um, I think these are people who are all dealing 
just like we are with a very difficult situation and why they do they do speak with moral clarity. Um, I think this thing has become so frenzied that it's just really difficult for people to, um, at any given moment, really have a, a strong and clear sense of what needs to happen. Not to mention the fact that, not to belabor the point, but you have three Democrats who are the top officials in, in, in government in Virginia right now. The Democratic Party in Virginia, and I think the National Democratic Party, uh, I don't think they want to exactly flip over a Republican governor in a state that they want to fight for in 2020. So they're in a really difficult position um, as it relates to um, the politics of all this stuff. Well, Darren, we've gotten a couple of tweets uh, from viewers saying over the course of this conversation, you know, thank you for continuing to cover the controversy in Virginia, and thank you for joining us throughout the week, Darren. Thank you. Thanks, I Bye, guys. All right, friends. Up next, I sit down with Terrell Alvin McCraney, the Oscar-winning writer of Moonlight and the new Netflix movie, High Flying Bird. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Oscar Award winner Terrell Alvin McCraney, the writer of Moonlight, and the new Netflix film, High Flying Bird, which is out today everywhere. Uh, congratulations on your second feature film. Thanks. That's <laughs> pretty Absolutely. cool. Yeah. Um, watching you accept the Oscar for Moonlight uh-huh. um, was joyous. Um, but also, it felt deeply personal. I, like, as a gay black man, watching you up there, you know, in the white and with the pen, you know, it meant a lot to me and a lot of other people. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's really sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, now this is your second feature film, High Flying Bird. Like, uh, did, you, did you feel pressure after, like, such a triumphant first, first film? Um, I think, you know, like all things, uh, I will be unpacking the kind of trajectory of Moonlight for the rest of my life. So, you know, um, we started working on High Flying Bird while we were even filming uh, Moonlight. So the sort of trajectory of things didn't kind of get in the way. They they were sort of happening at the same time. It wasn't like just a linear. No, and it never is. I mean, especially with, you know, folks like Andre uh, Holland, who is uh, the executive producer for High Flying Bird. He was already on the Nick and was having conversations with Steven Soderbergh Mm -hmm. while he was, you know, coming down to film uh, Kevin and Moonlight. So those conversations about, you know, High Flying Bird were already um, in play. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't even, you know, none of, and even up until the moment it happened, we, we, we just didn't know, um, and still for a second, didn't know mm-hmm. we were gonna win Best Picture for Moonlight. So the trajectory of that and all of the, the emphasis and, and beauty and wonder, wonder that came with that experience, um, didn't kind of get in the way of uh, the artistic process. And, and to that point of, you know, everything's kind of going on at once. I, you know, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh my goodness, I saw Choir Boy, mm-hmm. your play, yeah. on Broadway, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Jeremy Pope was sitting here. Yes, so again, he it's like, you have your Broadway debut. The amazing Jeremy Pope, he, by the way. A voice, a sense of humor. Damn. That, I want to say that kid, because he plays a kid in the play, yeah. but like, he's incredible. That man's great. So good. So so what is it like, again, to this point, you know, um, do you, you know, you of course got your start as a playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, do you enjoy writing plays in one way and writing for the screen in a different? Well, I think, again, I mean, this actually uh, talks about you know, how or why High Flying Bird was so important for us because, you know, we we think about industry and we think about uh, folks who are selected out of uh, the pool of of artists or athletes or whoever, Mm -hmm. especially black people, black Mm -hmm. folk, and um, expected to kind of just stay in their lane. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that in the industry, if you stay in that one prescribed lane, uh, 
there is no guarantee that you have <laughs> you'll have a life after that. Right. Uh, Seventy to sixty percent of um, NBA players five years after leaving the NBA fall into financial distress, and it's usually because they haven't diversified the way in which they um, they 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 make their money. They they work in their career, um, and I think it can be true. And again, you tell me. But for artists, it is. Or it's for, absolutely true. I mean, we we have to do everything, um, and at the same time, and so. There's no. Uh, there are many moments where I'm not thinking. Oh, I'm writing a play. I'm going. What's best for this story? Mm. How do I put this? What platform works best for mm. this story? Um, and how do I engage it? And li- someone called me the other day. They were like, "Hey, here's this music. What, mm-hmm. You know, we should make a play out of it." Mm. I was like, "No, actually, that's a film." Mm. Um, and and again, my mind is doing that not to you know. Um, not in a way of that that's feeding me necessarily, but hopefully feeding the story or what the words or what song or, mm-hmm. or, or art wants to be. Um, something I, I love about your work, um, and, and I, I was saying during the break, I've you know, seen your own work on stage like for over a decade now. Um, the Brother Sisters plays starred Andre Holland, who is in High Flying Bird. We've got Brian Tyree Henry, of course, who's on Atlanta, and uh, If Bill Street Could Talk, uh, Sterling K. Brown, everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they've worked with you in different times. I wanted to ask about Andre, because he, he's in, in this film. Uh, what are your memories of, of the early Andre that you were like, yes, that is someone that I not just want to cast for this production, but I'm going to develop this you know, almost 10-year-long working relationship with? Um, I think the real question is, what did early Andre see in early me? Mm. Uh, I mean, again, the, the, the three folks you just mentioned have had meteoric mm. rise in this, in this industry. And every time they've reached back and gone, T, what, what you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's up? And, mm. you know, it, there's an almost fabled story where, you know, Andre and I ran into each other at the public uh, in 2006, right before we graduated um, grad school. Mm-hmm. And then we all ended up at Sundance mm-hmm. Theater Lab together, myself, Andre, Sterling K. Brown, Brian T. Tyree, mm-hmm. um, Glenn Davis, Retina Wesley, all working on uh, Wig Out together. Wow. Naomi, uh, Rebecca Naomi Jones. I mean, wow. like, I mean, we were in the room cutting up together. That's, that's for, quite a room. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, we were all fresh out of wherever, mm-hmm. you know, trying to see what we could do or together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then at some point, we realized that uh, as we got into the industry, and I think, again, this is one of the reasons why Andre was so keen on making High Flying Bird, mm. was because we got into the industry and we kept, and kept, people kept being like, great, be grateful that you're here. Mm. Be grateful that you can tell a story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dre would go, well, I really want to tell this story. And people would be like, but you got to tell that story. So shut up and dribble, uh, basically. Yeah. Shut up and act, shut yeah. up and do the thing. And as that kept happening to all of us, we sort of kept coming together going, we got to try to make our own. We got to try to make, um, we got to try to say and produce from ourselves. Um, and Andre being um, the Capricorn he is, he was just <laughs> like, yo, I, um, I think I need to start producing. I-, I wanted to talk about your, you know, forthcoming own network series, yeah. David Makes Man. I got choked up watching the trailer the other day. And this is why. Oprah Winfrey called it the best pitch she has ever heard for a show. What was going through your mind when you found out she said that? Well, she said it in the. She, she said, said it to you. She said it she to you. She was like, "That's the best." Oh my goodness. Yeah, which you know, no pressure. I was like, "Well, now I just have to make the thing." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, "Great." I was like, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks. You know, yeah, like yeah, I don't know. I mean, they. I, I, again, I was sort of stunned that she even came into the room. You know, pitch, pitches don't normally happen with the 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 face of the network mm-hmm. um, until later on, mm-hmm. and so the fact that she was there was sort of uh, you know 
I was very honored by that and moved by it. And, and it showed uh, the commitment to telling that story um, about a young man who is dealing with his own trauma, trying to use uh, what all the tools that he has to figure out how to be at once in his own community and in a whole other community um, that's outside of his, uh, his, his normal milieu, as it were. Incredible. Well, um, something that delighted me when we were getting ready for this uh, conversation, look, it found, turns out you really like Game of Thrones. Yes, I do. Uh, and Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but since Game of Thrones is about to come back, I, I wanted yes. to get come your back, to get the tea. Yeah, it's almost time yeah, yeah. Uh, to get some of your Game of Thrones predictions. So this is going to be pretty fast. But um, do you think Cersei will die? And if so, who will kill her? <laughs> what is dead may never die. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the answer. That's yeah, it, Cersei, yeah, Cersei's heart died when them kids died. Mm -hmm. Spoilers, spoiler <laughs> I mean, alert. Real, I'm so real. sorry. They, they deserve whatever happens. To okay, them. cool. Uh, there's a fan Damn. theory that Bran Stark is the Night King uh, because Bran always transports in time to try to stop him. Do you believe that theory? I think Bran is Brandon the Builder. Oh, well, who's Brandon the Builder? I don't Brandon the Builder built the wall. Oh. Mm. Okay, see? But I, I'm going to tweet you when I'm, if it happens. I'll be like, oh, And, and if not, just be like, okay. he was wrong and dumb, and he don't know what he's talking about. But, you know, Bran the Builder uh, saw enough, had enough foresight to build the wall in the uh -huh. first place. And I'm like, well, and if Bran can circle back time, uh -huh. then Bran is probably Bran the Builder. Okay, that's pretty fair. Well, and then I have to ask you the big question is, you know, who ends up on the Iron Throne? Oh, I mean, doesn't it get burned down? I mean, look, I really well, no, because seriously, at the end of the day, I think at the I think the the real ch challenge is will will the throne still be there? Mm -hmm. Because because I think winter is coming, mm -hmm. and so if winter is coming and it's going to sweep down south, then the new you know it's like when new, when Washington D.C. became the capital instead of New York City. Mm. I mean, it's like the capital has to move, right? Mm -hmm. It has mm -hmm. to move to where interesting, uh, yeah. I just, I, I was saying this to someone the other day, that the image I have in my mind, was like, someone's going to sit there, and they'll be dead. Like, it'll be someone's, like, stabbed at the last <laughs> yeah. moment, and they fall into the throne. Sure. Because it's a powerful thing. It better not be the Khaleesi, though. Do you, you don't want no smoke. Look at that. He's looking at the camera. All right, Terrell, thank you so <laughs> much for that. joining us this morning, that. and I love all of your Game of Thrones tea. I live for this. I live for it. Um, yeah. Friends, you can watch High Flying Bird now on Netflix. Celebrate Black History Month. Celebrate Black Art. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. Thank you. Here's a tweet from Professor and Ironheart writer Eve Ewing. One day, people will call you a nerd and mean it as a compliment. Eight-year-old me would not believe it. Probably better as a surprise anyway. Omar Holman and Aisha Jordan, content editor and writer for Black Nerd Problems, join me now. Good morning, guys. Morning. Happy Black History Month to y'all. Always. <laughs> all right, so we've all seen how nerd culture has really like taken over mainstream culture in the past few years, but how specifically has black nerd culture become part of the conversation, would you say? I'd say it's always been there. It's mm. just, I guess, more like prevalent now. Uh, nerd's a spectrum, if you will. And uh, a shell. Yeah, so people think, of like, oh, nerd culture, and somehow black nerd culture has become like a subculture mm -hmm. of that, but like it's always like really been there. Yeah, and I think that the explosion of it just as a popular culture mm -hmm. has made it so black people are like, hey, no, I'm in this too. There's mm -hmm. a lot of times where you don't see black people being represented in nerd culture, and we're like, hey, we've been here the whole time. So. Right, right, right. I mean, you see a lot of, like, mainstream people coming out as nerds, as we're like, you see Michael B. Jordan talking about his favorite anime, and it's like, wow, I guess we really did make it, didn't we? It's safe now. It's, oh, I can, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can talk about my DBZ habits now. So Black Panther came out last year on February 16th. 
Now it's nominated for Best Picture. Just in the last year alone, what kind of impact has it had on the culture? Oh, I know it's a big ass question, <laughs> but we're gonna try and tackle this. We threw a uh, we threw like a screening for it in Ohio, and like everybody showed out. Like you know how everybody comes for like you know Harry Potter, they get dressed yeah, up. Yeah. It was so incredible to see a bunch of people dressed up like they're from Wakanda, whatever. Hey. People brought drums, man. <gasps> there were drums out, and Kendrick Lamar playing in the theater. Like that's I think it felt like oh man, yes. like it was like it was that explosion. We're taking back drum circles in yes. 2019. <laughs> yes, it happened. It happened. So it's finally like, it's just like this explosion. Like all right, finally we're here. You cannot deny us now. And also you can't say uh, it's you're not being an actor. You can speak to this. Yeah. Like uh, black leads don't sell. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. yeah. And I think it's also done this crazy thing with brought in people who wouldn't consider themselves nerds into the culture. So it's like I see myself in that. I'm gonna go to the movies now. I'm gonna read more about this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be a part of this because like deep down I think I always did. Mm-hmm. And now there's a place for me. I think that's what it's really like exploded for us. Right now they're like, what is Afrofuturism? Let right. me listen a little exactly. bit deeper to Janelle Monet. Like, oh, now you <laughs> want to see it. Now you want to come and see it. Now you care about it. Okay, okay, come on in then. Come okay. on in. I guess now that we got Michael B. on our side. Uh, mm. so, so why then would you say it's so important to see black creators uh, working behind the scenes on major Ooh. films, comics, and TV shows? But, okay, so diversity is one thing where you get to see yourself in yeah. like a movie or a comic book, right? Like, all right, that's great. However, the stories being told, it would help if there's a person of color behind those stories so they're told accurately. That's all we want. Phase one, show them, show them yep, the people. We're there, Phase two, see behind the scenes, behind the scenes as well. I think it's um, also important to mention how like Stan Lee, that was one of his big ideals and goals was like, look, I created Black Panther. Let's mm-hmm. go from there. But he's like, there's other people who know this culture much more than I do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pass it off. Right. Because you really like Tanahasi Coates, like mm-hmm. people who really know the experience and can bring so much more nuance to it. It's like, that's what you need. You need that important experience in order to tell the story in all the different ways of Black people too. Because mm-hmm. you think Black people presented in one way. And then it's like, no, there's so many nuances, so many levels, and that's why you need them kind of behind the camera, writing, drawing, all that. Shout out to Christopher Priest for that, too. Gave us hey. an incredible Black Panther run. You too, Reginald Hutman. I see you. <laughs> hey, shout out on the show. So for all the disappointments so far of Black History Month. Like, <laughs> we're going to do that here? That, no, no, no. We're, we're going to do that here? Take it over, take it <laughs> For all those disappointments, we have had, we are a, we're a week into 28 days of Black cosplay, uh-huh. which you know mm. has been a light on the timeline of people sharing their photos. What are some of the struggles and joys that you've seen from Black people as they try and join into the cosplay community? Both struggles and joys. We'll, yeah. we'll go sad and happy right now. <laughs> it goes back to that representation thing. So it's like, oh, this character is uh, white. So what are you? Why, why are you right. dressing up as them? Yeah. Like, oh, I can't. It's like cosplay is a way of paying homage. And uh, the creator of that hashtag, um, Chaka Cumberbatch Tinsley, also goes by Princess Mentality. Cosplay, what? Doing research. Hey. <laughs> uh, you know, it was created like, hey, we can, you know, pay homage this way. These are We are fans of them as well. It's not crazy for us to dress up as them. But they're not black. And yeah, what? So- Fiction, son. <laughs> That's literally what uh, happened to me. I love to do cosplay. I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily call myself a cosplayer, but mm-hmm. I love to dress up. And I remember one year for Halloween, I dressed up as Rogue. Hey. Everyone thought I was Storm. Oh, Everyone oh, thought what? I was Storm. With, with, with the rest of the gray. Like, the rest I was of the gray. literally in like the yellow and the green, and yes. only the front was white, like the band, like everything. And they were like, oh, Storm. I was like, you racist? Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't read comics, fam. Is that trying to gatekeep me? To, all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what are the projects that you, the Black Nerd Project that you're looking forward to in 2019? Are there any that are like on your radar that you're like, okay, I got to cop this as soon as it happens? Hmm. Okay. Or, or is it so sparse that you're like, man, I guess I'm gonna rewatch Black Panther again? <laughs> 
Well, there's something that actually I've been wanting to work on, and Omar doesn't even know this, but I wanted to start doing a series of nerd diaspora events oh. where it kind of encompasses people who wouldn't consider themselves nerds and how they see the nerd world. Mm. So people who like movies, TVs, they love the stories, they love the characters, but not necessarily reading every comic and all that. So I want to do some series like that, hopefully in 2019. I want to okay. do like a nerd-adjacent Day. I want to do like mm-hmm. uh, Mo Nerds, Mo Problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I'm I'm in like comic books. So, like I like I'm enjoying the uh, Bitter Roots uh, by uh, David F. Walker uh, and Chuck Brown uh, and Sanford Green. Um, it's an image. I'm looking more, uh, more forward to that. Uh, Tiny Coates' new run of Black Panthers, like which is now like a Star Wars space epic now. And like <laughs> yes. I'm lo- yes, 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 you guess and you will love it, sir. It is goodness <laughs> for you. Uh, so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward more into. Nice. Well, Aisha, Omar, thank you so much for joining me today. Mm. I am going to be chatting with you on Twitter for a long ass time. <laughs> I feel like about all these things. All right, and let's take it to the timeline real quick. What nerdy projects are you out there looking most forward to this year? Up next, we have Saeed's conversation with author and definite black nerd Marlon James. Stick around. Oh my goodness, this is The Sit Down, and I'm here with award-winning writer Marlon James, group text friend, yes. gal pal, um, and author of the wonderful new novel, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Hey. Hey, you. <laughs> I'm Did I just so... talk to you yesterday? <laughs> Probably. We were texting like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. I love this because for the last few years, you and I have gone to dinner and mm-hmm. drinks, sometimes just the two of us, sometimes Isaac, and yeah. you've been talking to us about this crazy book you're working on. I know. And now it's here. And like, Michiko came out of retirement to review it. I'm like, wow. Sang your praise. Are you surprised to see how much people love the book immediately in its first week? I, you know what, I'm surprised mostly because when you're writing a book, you're in, you're in a room by yourself. Okay. And um, well, I'm in a room by myself and I don't really think about Okay. I, I, I don't think about it um, until it happens. And then once I get over my postpartum depression. Okay, that's real. From releasing a book and, and seeing the feedback. You know, you, you, I keep telling myself, I tell everybody, you know, I don't read reviews. You don't? No, I really do read reviews. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I was like, we've been posting the reviews <laughs> in, the, in the group text. So if you want us to stop, let me, we're like, oh, look, book forum. No, I keep trying. I'm like, you okay. know what? I don't read reviews. Of course I read them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's been, it was very surprising. It was mm-hmm. surprising and overwhelming. It's always surprising for me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so look, I was talking before um, to some friends here on set about you winning the Man Booker Award mm-hmm. uh, for your last novel. Huge reception. That is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're writing this book, which is, is fantasy and, you know, very different in a lot of yeah. ways. Did you have, like, specific goals with writing a fantasy novel? Um, well, I knew well. I knew people would think it would be kind of crazy because usually if you win a prize like that, your next movie is supposed to be something exactly like it mm-hmm. um, to keep that going. And I wasn't interested in that. Um, I, I, I know I wanted to write the type of book I always wanted to be in. Mm. Um, I wanted, or the book I always wanted, I always wanted to read. Okay. And I knew I wanted to write a book that, you know, that I could geek out on, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily follow, mm-hmm. um, all the sort of European fantasy mm-hmm. that I grew up with. Cause I like, I mean, I like all of that stuff, but it's also really very European and also really kind of Christian. Mm. And the kind of Lord of the Rings, yeah, and so on. And I didn't want something that was stuck in that kind of morale, Mm -hmm. that kind of um, system. Mostly because I was reading a lot of this research and reading, um, you know, African mythology and and some of that. that, Some of that stuff was just crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, African vampires aren't scared of daylight. What are they scared of? Oh, nothing. Nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> They'll come after you in broad daylight. They don't sure. care. It's like as if everybody in Africa became Blade. <laughs> <laughs> I love this because, and again, a joy of watching you work on the book, which you're mm-hmm. talking about, like, look at all these interesting aspects of African myth from mm-hmm, all over mm-hmm. the continent. Right. You know, real history, folklore, that, like, people have not been sharing in Western literature. No. And I, I think people who take Western literature for granted, and I'm at least I mean European people, mm-hmm. um, don't realize just how much a role myths play in the shaping of who they are. Mm. And when you are black people mm-hmm. in the Americas and that's taken away from you where your mm-hmm. ground zero is slavery, mm-hmm. you don't have those myths. Right. And I don't think, only, only, if you don't, only, only in the absence of them do you realize how much you need them and mm-hmm. how much those mythologies mm-hmm. tell you about who you are. Mm-hmm. And to go back and discover all of that was really interesting. Like it was really interesting, for example, for seeing how a lot of ancient Africans viewed queerness. Mm. Can you give an example? Oh, yeah. Because, Spill some tea? Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, the reputation a lot of these countries have, not like Uganda, is mm-hmm. super homophobic and so mm-hmm. on. But um, in a lot of ancient African cultures, shogun men were known to be gay mm. because they were the only men allowed around unmarried women. Hmm. So it's all the like, ones who could be trusted. Yeah, it's like, huh. I'll trust you with my virgin daughter because mm. we all know nothing's going to happen. Wow. Uh, and, huh. and then you have other, other um, tribes who... They're the, they're the, they're, 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 like, they're the baddest guys in the mm-hmm. village. I'll protect you. The deal is you don't get to judge me. Okay. Oh, I mean, I kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they've been using plural pronouns for 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. They, they, the, you know, the, and that was something I wanted in the book, the mm-hmm. gender fluidity, the sexual right. fluidity, that it's a very erotic book. Mm-hmm. Well, something else, you know, it's fair that there are a lot of comparisons, mm-hmm. sometimes from yourself, from other people, to George R. R. Martin, right, right. to the world of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. and some people are like, oh, this is like African Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask you about Wakanda and Black Panther. Right. Um, I, I think you liked Black Panther, I liked Black Panther, and also liked the comic, and I okay. grew up with the comic. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the comic was all we had. Mm. But I loved, I loved Wakanda. Mm-hmm. I loved um, that, that it was such... Mm-hmm. Uh, a global public viewing of Afrofuturism, right? And 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 I also really like that they weren't afraid to give the most complicated lines to the villain. Because mm. every time Killmonger said something, I was like, "But where the lie, though?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, "I'm with you." I'm yeah. with you. Oh, oh no, you didn't have to kill that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 I and I, I appreciated it being super complicated mm-hmm. and and um and yeah I had to watch it to make sure I wasn't ripping it off by accident. I was wondering. I was like, did you hide from it or did you? No, I had to see just in case. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> I worked on my book, I mm-hmm. I would intentionally avoid reading mm-hmm. books or things that I was worried were too close mm-hmm. because it's like I don't want to unintentionally kind of. Yeah. yeah, but I knew man was going to be different because man said like a few thousand mm-hmm. years. Okay. Um, before. Right, so you're going like other direction. Yeah, I'm going in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as for the Game of Thrones thing, I'm the person who probably caused that to happen by <laughs> seeing it in a magazine I was convinced nobody, nobody read. Nobody read, yeah. And everybody who reads it works in media. Oops. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I the thing I, the thing I do like about Game of Thrones, though, is that... Um, it, it it is a decidedly adult book mm-hmm. that doesn't want, that refuses to let go of all the things that we enjoyed when we were young, like mm-hmm. make believe. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, and, and so here's the thing. Mm. Uh, this book is the first in a, in a whole trilogy, mm. the Dark Star trilogy. So I was like, oh, okay, this queen has given us an African Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. So we're going to play some Would You Rather. Hell yeah. It's happening. Okay. Because uh, when we hang out... Uh, you just love, you love to read the house down with your opinions on comic book stuff um, and superhero stuff. Okay, so if you were suddenly faced with an army of White Walkers, mm -hmm. would you rather fight it with the X-Men or the Avengers? The X-Men. See, he knows. Why? Well, because I kinda, I'm an X-Men. <laughs> I always felt like reading X-Men was mm -hmm. something like being in the X-Men. Okay. You know, I was the nerd. Mm -hmm. I was a school gay. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I mean, just sort of mm -hmm. crapped on by everybody, mm -hmm. even though I did turn around, and turn around and do all their exam papers for them. So I'm still fighting to save the world that's trying to get rid of me. <laughs> So, because I'm keeping relatable, these kids, I'm keeping these kids in high school, even yeah. though they're trying to do you know, all this crap. So yeah, definitely X Men. Totally. Definitely as a gay kid, I was mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, the X Men. I identify. Um, if you caught a strong case of writer's block, mm -hmm. I don't wish it on anyone. Would you rather get advice from George R R Martin or mm -hmm. Toni Morrison? Oh wow, <laughs> you guys set that one up. We're gonna for send me. these clips to their their, their <laughs> publishers. <laughs> you know what? I, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with with Tony Morrison just because I can probably get lots of George R. R. Martin clips on YouTube. Um, That's practical. But I mean, Tony Morrison is the god of my life. Mm. So, I mean, is there something in particular about her writing that you still, even now, like really go back to? Yeah. Um, I go back to Sula because Sula is a book that liberated me. Mm. Sula is a book that made me realize that I really didn't have to live my life for anybody's approval. Mm -hmm. And I didn't re I just didn't know that. Mm. And I was just going down a really terrible downward spiral because I was trying to be what other people wanted mm -hmm. me to be. And that was a book that gave me license yeah. to be whoever I wanted. Yeah. I sure did live in this world uh. when she says that. Mm -hmm. um, if you were captured in a battle, mm -hmm. would you rather face judgment by Cersei's? Cersei, oh my God, mm -hmm. or Thanos? Hmm. I'm gonna go Cersei. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I, you know, her, you know, I, I kind of, I have more respect for somebody who just have this sort of blind need for vengeance okay. than somebody who have this high and mighty idea that what I'm doing is right. Mm. I'm like, no, mm. you're, you're actually the ones who's really dangerous because you'll kill two million children thinking, yeah, but you know, population control though. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it don't work like that. Mm. <laughs> There's something about Thanos' high-mindedness and abstraction yeah. that makes me think of like Zuckerberg, to be honest. <laughs> you were just so, you know, like so disconnected from like, do you understand, you know, the practical like yeah 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 i was like dude you're just some lofty ass bitch i was like <laughs> don't we, think, we need that in end game yeah don't think don't think you mean don't think you mean well incredible <laughs> incredible okay uh two more questions mm -hmm. one on the fly Mm -hmm. um, you know, you of course know Isaac Fitzgerald very well. Right. Uh, friend of the show, friend of you, and friend of mine. Uh, if you. Straight man who allows me to kiss him on the lips. Okay, see, I knew it! Okay, if you could go on a date mm -hmm. with any superhero, any, just pick anyone, just have the best Valentine's uh, day and night, or <laughs> go on a date uh, with Isaac Fitzgerald, uh, which would you oh choose? Oh my god, I'd have to pick Isaac. <laughs> I mean, only Saturday he was like completely naked and not far from me. <laughs> Can you explain? Can you give context? You know, so 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 I work above where you know Isaac's place of abode. Okay. And I you forgot, work above his apartment. Yeah, and I forgot my keys. That's very you. So I had to go through his house. 
-hmm. and he was in in flagrante delecto. I actually don't know what that means. I've just seen that I'm naked. <laughs> you just always wanted to I say just, it in I always wanted to say it. And I, and, and <laughs> Incredible. And yeah. All right. But, you know, he, he, he kept it. He kept it. You know, he was decent. He's a gentleman. He's, He's a, gentleman. a gentleman. Okay, one last very important question. Mm. Uh, Game of Thrones, obviously. Right. Who's going to end up on the, game, uh, on the Iron Throne? <sighs> Hopefully not Jon Snow, because he's so whiny. <laughs> I think they're going to hand it to him and they realize Daenerys really is better. Oh, interesting. So Auntie. Auntie's going to... Auntie. Auntie's She's going to end up there in Auntie's the Auntie's going to end up in, in okay. the end. All right. I think whoever's going to end there is just going to be a, like a skeleton. See, I would just love a dragon to be on the throne. Okay, see. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Congratulations. Thank you. deserve you. all of this and much, much more, friend. Uh, Black Leopard Red Wolf is out now. Read it. Buy two copies again. One for yourself, one for your friend. Okay? Uh, stay tuned. More AM to DM is up next. <laughs> Your favorite song so far off of Ariana's new album, Thank You Next. Mario said, Ghostin uh, both broke and healed my gay soul. Nice. Uh, I have to be honest, I, I, I figured what ghosting was probably about this morning mm -hmm. and I skipped it because I was like, uh -huh. I host a morning show and Can't what I don't down. need is to be in my feelings at seven o'clock in the morning. Fair, entirely yeah. fair. <laughs> we asked for your Grammy predictions. Joe Lee says, I'm watching for Janelle Monet. The Grammys have a shot at doing something right. That's, That's fair. That would you know be what? a delight. That would be the best. Um, Janelle doesn't need it. It has no bearing on the the brilliance of Janelle's, you know, talent. And Dirty Computer but, was great. Yeah. But, Go watch my interview with her on Profile on Facebook after this. You better plug Hashtag Synergy. Uh, shout out to you. But yeah, it, that would be a true source yeah, of Yeah, it would be great. Of course. And it's been a really great week. It's always great getting to host with you. Hey, likewise. Sweetheart. All right, friends. Uh, before I say my thank yous, I like to say... If you're out there and you have some blackface photos, you will be exposed, clearly. Just you know, know that that is hanging over you and your time is short and we will find you and ruin you. All right, well, anyway. thank you to all of our guests today. Janelle Smith, we didn't even plan that. Brittany Sparrows, uh, Darren Sands, Terrell Alvin McCraney, Aisha Jordan, Omar Holman, and Marlon James. Thank you all. Yeah, next week we have Andre Holland, Wilson Cruz, Christy Brinkley, Andy T Thomas, Kiki Palmer, and more. What a week. And Isaac and I will be back here on Monday at 10 a.m. Remember that Isaac's birthday is today. Tweet him happy birthday. Send him love. Have a great weekend. Don't wear blackface. See you on Monday. 